everybody and welcome to another episode of words images and worlds i'm joined today by someone in a wonderful looking studio space this is sarah meyer may i call you sarah yes <laughs> welcome welcome and i love the studio space that you have arranged here see some uh, action figures up there yeah yeah my uh little assortment of donatello action figures there and few books. <laughs> nice. Love it. Uh, those that are listening to the audio version will be able to find this on YouTube and we'll probably share it out on social media. You and I have actually, we've connected for a little while because you did a written interview on my blog about a year ago, I think something. That's like right. That. Yeah. I think it was last, uh, last summer. And uh, yeah. So Great to meet you in person. We sort of met on social media and connected that way, but, but wonderful to put uh, a live moving person with a face and name. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so you've heard a, probably heard a couple of episodes of the podcast. I always like to ask with uh, general directions about some of those things that connected you with reading and writing early on. And so then we can talk about the path to comics from there. Sure. Well, um, I guess when I was a, a really young kid, I was always very much into uh, fictional characters. And I just for as long as I can remember, I think that really sort of started with seeing The Little Mermaid. Um, but my mom also should be credited for um, igniting an interest in, in books and reading because um, in the summers, she would always take us uh, in my throughout my whole childhood. Um, she would always take us to the the library um, on a pretty regular basis. And um, I just remember, you know, getting books out very regularly from that library. Um, and, you know, of course, uh, she and my dad would read to my sister and I. And um, but I, I have to say, I, I always loved um, picture books because I was just as excited by the illustrations as I was the words. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of both of those things as well as well, <laughs> words, images and worlds that kind of kind of connects. So yeah. um, that connection from those areas to comics, how did you get involved in the world of comics? Well, um, OK, I'm going to try not to ramble too much with this answer, but uh, basically I the very first. So I was about four years old um, when I uh, first realized okay, people can make art for a living, for a job. And that was all thanks to 1989's Disney's The Little Mermaid. Um, my mom took me to go and see it. And um, it that literally changed my life. I don't really remember a whole lot before it, you know. Um, <laughs> and I remember my mom, uh, she because she's such a, a well-read person who always, you know, kept up with news and would read articles. She somehow knew a lot of the behind the scenes uh, things about the production of that. And of course, being a child of the fifties, she grew up loving Walt Disney and um, you know, just Disney animation being a part of her, her whole life too. So she, um, she told me when I was really oh, just a little kid, like on the way back from seeing that movie, um, I was asking her so many questions and she said, you know, a lot of people drew that movie and they they drew thousands and thousands of drawings over and over again. And that's what made it move. And that just had such an impact on me. And I remember her telling me about that. And um, that was, I think, what first forged that connection of, OK, something 
a person, you know, maybe like me one day, you know, mm -hmm. uh, does with a pencil and paper become something like that, like what I just saw. Um, and so I just started drawing incessantly and I would draw mermaids throughout my whole like elementary school years, like for years, it was a years, you know, several years long obsession, but I also drew, you know, just all the time in general, not just mermaids, but, um, and that, that made me initially, I, I thought I was, you know, going to be an animator and I, I would tell people in like even fourth or fifth grade, I'm going to be a Disney animator. Um, and to be honest, though, I I was kind of naive about it, of course. At the time, I don't think I realized um, I couldn't have foreseen, first of all, that things would uh, be so computer centric um, by the time yeah. I, I became an adult. But um, and I am computer illiterate, <laughs> despite using some digital equipment to draw now. But um, the other thing was I when I got into um, uh, college and studied sequential art, I picked that because that major, um, I realized I could have control over my own story that I both wrote and created all the images for. Um, and I think that, um, well, I'd like to think I, I can work fairly well as a, a team player. I try to, um, <laughs> I think, I think just at my core, I'm, I'm a bit of a, I, I like to sort of have a little bit more control over what I'm doing. Um, so that was what made me then realize, okay, it's all right to change your aspirations. It's okay because it's still in the same path. You know, it's still ultimately creating stories and expressing things through art and words. Um, but I felt that comics, uh, fit suited my personality a little bit better. I don't think I have the patience for animation, um, mm -hmm. as well, <laughs> um, so while I still love animation and that had such a huge influence on me, I think that comics uh, was just a much better fit for me in terms of my my temperament and, you know, how I like to to have that individual control over what I'm doing. Uh, yeah, and you definitely, I mean, both of those are really minute and, and fine-tuned ways of making art, but animation does seem so repetitive i mean imagine drawing the same thing that many times it, yeah i i can get that it's incredible i have so much admiration for people who do it i think i um i did take some rigging and uh computer animation courses in uh my grad school um which was from in like 20 2013 or 2014 through 2016 mm -hmm. initially and that was when i i was like okay i'm i'm giving animation kind of a second look but that was when I realized for sure, okay, computers and I and Maya, the program, don't mix. So I have so much respect for people who can do that and and do that creatively but and work with that technology. But that was when I realized, okay, sequential art is the way to go for me. <laughs> uh, being a child of the 80s and 90s, I also appreciate the, the sequential art, traditional animation. Um, I appreciate that a lot, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so from there, I remember the first couple of works that I have encountered have been Maker Comics, which which is a cool, I always try to follow what First Second does and what they publish because they do really interesting things. So I've seen your Maker Comics. And then I also, I know you've got Ninja Turtles back there that you've done some cover art for. Um, so please tell us about the journey from, you know, those childhood dreams and aspirations 
to some of the works that are out now before we talk about that other book over your shoulder? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, to be honest, it was a very, a very long and uncertain uh, journey. Um, Speaking candidly, I really, I actually don't think when I graduated in 2008 uh, with a degree in sequential art, I don't personally think I was uh, as prepared as I could have been. Um, And I think some of that was due to my being a little bit naive about, um, you know, how easy or difficult rather it would be to pitch books and get, you know, get a job. I think I was a little bit, I was still in a mindset that um, I developed as a teen that I'll go to you know, my anime conventions and I'll continue doing that and charging only $10 for a a marker drawing of, you know, a Prismacolor marker inked drawing of Sailor Moon. And, you know, then I'll make a book. And I just, I think that I, I didn't recognize that there was a whole business side to it that I needed to learn a lot more about. Um, so after 2008, I applied for several, uh, sequential field related jobs didn't um wasn't able to really break in still continued to go to conventions and did artist alley um but i ended up eventually uh actually doing um taking an administrative assistant uh job and worked in a government a local government office in a um uh, as a clerk uh with miscellaneous permits and licenses for baltimore county for like three years and i think that in it it helped me in some, I guess, first, first of all, it helped me on a personal level because that's what made me realize, okay, I, I can hold down a job and this is like a, you know, going through my daily life, earning some money, but also it, it made me realize this, I am more determined than ever now to, to mm-hmm. make the, the creative side work. Cause it's like the nine to five. And then every weekend, I just felt like all I wanted to do was consume you know, the media that I loved, you know, comic books and and drawing and um and I would just feel miserable by the time Monday rolled around. I was like, I can't this can't be my life. Gotta like keep trying. Um, so that's when I decided to apply um to grad school and uh give it a second try, but with a much more business minded approach in terms of how what I would put into my education. So I think I was uh I was a good student between 2004 and 2008 in my undergrad for sequential. Um, and I, I did work really hard, but I think this time I was, I had seen what it's like when I, you know, when I worked as a clerk and in the government office job and I realized I've got to really be looking at, um, you know, networking portfolio. Like that was my main thing was get your portfolio ready and improve your skills. Cause I knew for sure, you know, I didn't graduate with a very good, grasp of perspective for example i still struggle with that you know um brush up on your anatomy so i was thinking got to be a, a better artist and a better business person and um so then i went to grad school between 2014 and 2016 and that time around i think a lot more things clicked for me because again i had just seen the the non-art possibilities in my life you know so i i had sort of a i guess it was like a um an awakening, like a second awakening, you know, like, okay, now I, now I've got a little bit more of the realities of life, uh, under my belt. And, um, so 
in 2016, I got a freelance um, job doing some storyboards for a local live action film. Um, and, you know, having built that up and all these portfolio things from grad school, I was able to get uh, freelance work with uh, Viz Media doing um, an illustration or two for the Hello Kitty and Friends coloring book. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, I met my editor for uh, Maker Comics, um, Create a Costume, and that was when, actually when I was uh, teaching at uh, SCAD uh, in foundation study. So it, it all kind of happened like in 2016 to 2017. Um, and it happened pretty fast. And to be honest, I was uh, I happened to be in, in the right place at the right time for that book. But it also was um, due to the fact that I had never stopped uh, cosplaying. And they happened to be looking for somebody who can draw comics and also knows about and loves cosplay and um you might think that those two things are very closely linked but they sometimes are surprisingly not you know there are many many um comic artists at conventions who love cosplay and do it themselves but there are just as many if not more i would say um people who cosplay but don't necessarily draw or people who draw comics and are um either used to cosplay and can't don't have the time to do it anymore or they just never were into it so I just happened to be like in that overlap that they were looking for and um, that's kind of how I got my foot in the door so to speak I guess with um, first second um, and right after I finished that book I was able to uh, that's when um, Robin my editor and I uh, discussed the possibility of turning what had been a graduate thesis into the graphic memoir so <laughs> yeah I, I gotta ask before we talk about monstrous your go-to sure. cosplay character or characters um definitely okay so ash ketchum from pokemon was the uh -huh. first cosplay uh costume that i i made and wore to um an anime convention um and i i've cosplayed ash off and on between 2000 and a little bit sooner than that, even like in middle school, you know, and then mm -hmm. um, up through literally like earlier this year. So um, he's always like he keeps coming back, you know, and then um, but Shinji Ikari for sure is probably um, my my go to because uh, I've cosplayed him um, off and on through the years since like 2001. And he's a really important character to me personally. So. Um, I still I have some friends that I'll see at conventions who I don't think realize my name is Sarah, though they know me as Shinji. So uh, and same with even friends from from um, college, you know. <laughs> nice. Nice. I went to my first comics convention last summer, had never been to one and just really enjoy getting to see the cosplay that was part of that. And yeah, uh, had my photo taken with a couple of people and, and things like oh, that. So it's, it's so cool much world. fun. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a cosplay that you think you'd like to to try someday? There was a guy in like a really full Batman costume. Um, 1989 was a big year because Little <laughs> Mermaid came out that year. But that was also the Batman, Michael Keaton. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I remember going to see both of them. So okay. uh, maybe, maybe something along those lines, uh, cool. possibly. But I have a really good friend that has a, a pretty solid Thor approach that he does. So. Nice. <laughs> yeah yeah um, that'd be awesome yeah he 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 can really pull it off 
Um, so monstrous was your graduate thesis. It it was, um, I guess you could say it was extended for like my graduate thesis was a real jumping off point to it. Like the the graduate thesis um, for 2016 was the first time I'd really, I guess, seriously given a lot of thought to um, the ways in which comics can express those issues like internalized racism and identity, you know, and the way that we perceive ourselves versus the way that the world perceives us. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, so I, I think my editor, um, my editor was aware that I had written that thesis and I had also done, you know, dabbled in a few like kind of journal style comics. Um, and I think that those things all kind of culminated. Uh, and she asked, um, she asked me if I'd like to, pitch a graphic memoir so it, it was definitely extended from the you know the i think 20 or so pages that the gra the uh graduate thesis was um but yeah a big fan of the graphic memoir in general but i i also was fortunate enough to already look through a copy of monstrous um the publication date is about is it a month from now or so it is June twenty seventh, twenty twenty three. So little over a month. Yeah, a little over a month. Um, so I don't want to give away anything about it per se. You're welcome to to share what you would like to about it. I know it's monstrous, and the subtitle is a transracial adoption story. And I, I appreciate it. It's a beautiful book. And the things that you do between the the supernatural, really thinking about the monstrous and that sort of like impression of self and uh, some of those things come through in really interesting ways that I don't want to give away. <laughs> um, there's also when you mentioned Little Mermaid, I, I was thinking about some scenes where some of the fantastic enters through. There's a there's a aerial cameo. In the book, I yes, hope I'm not giving anything away. And a <laughs> oh, sonic no, that's fine. Um, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> yeah. So this this is very much your story in many ways. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and I have to thank um, Robin and Michael, my editors at First Second, and I assume what may be the legal department at First Second as well, just for like <laughs> making sure, because you know, and this was a, a thing. I I was told to I uh you know advised to always make sure that when I drew certain characters like Ariel the Little Mermaid Sonic the Hedgehog the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles appear uh one or two times um in the beginning of the book um and other you know Shinji Ikari appears um from Neon Genesis Evangelion and I was I was advised to make sure that I always kept things a little bit uh you know not totally on model for within their style, you know, in their respective uh, properties. Um, so uh, the likeness of the characters could could be enough to to show, OK, this is, you know, Sarah dressed as Ash Ketchum or Sarah thinking about something where Ash Ketchum appears in the fantasy sequence. But, um, you know, it can't look uh, on model in the way that, you know, the animators drew him in the Pokemon anime series or in the Nintendo yeah. books, obviously. So there was some there was definitely, uh, you know, I was I was careful to make sure that it didn't look like Glenn Keane had drawn Ariel. You know, I don't think I could reach that level anyway, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like just making sure that it still has a, a cohesive look with the rest of Monstrous, which has a little bit more of a sketchy, like a sketchbook look. Um and I, but I was so thankful to them for 
letting me put all those things into the book because the truth is they really did have such an impact on me just as much as the real life events, you know, um, that I depict those fictional characters had such an impact. So I felt that it was really important. Um, and they, they really honored that, you know, sentiment that I had, uh, by allowing me to, to put those characters in. Um, so I'm really glad that we could include those characters in the book as, as they are, but, um, you know, that it still exists within that narrative that I'm telling. Uh, they, I mean, they play a part in it, but there, there's so much of it that's, that's you, that's, the unique style that you bring to it. And there's so many. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. The The critical issues, the, the pieces that you bring in as far as reflecting on self, thinking about identity, thinking about belonging, there's bullying that's part of the story. Um, so it's going to be a powerful read for a lot of people, I think, young people, older people. Um, that's that's the nice thing about graphic novels is even if it's tilted toward a particular audience, there's usually some flexibility. Um, right. So, yeah. So I appreciate all of those aspects of it Thank as well. You. It, yeah. Anything about that that you want to add to or speak to? Yeah. Um, and I guess this is like a, a general thing about uh, the world of graphic novels and comics one of the things i love is that you can write one thing and your drawing can look like a total you know you can contradict yourself in how you're narrating it and i feel like that um i first got that kind of uh i guess you could say i was a a late bloomer to understand these these things but i remember in 2007 um i first read gene luen yang's uh, american born chinese and what I loved about that and what struck me about that was, first of all, I was just thinking, wow, this is a book that really captures a lot of the um, the anti-Asian racism that I could personally relate to having experienced some, even though I'm not Chinese American. Um, you know, unfortunately, I think people often lump people all into one group. Uh, but I remembered uh, really being struck by how he was able to balance that satirical, you know, tongue in cheek tone of the sitcom, you know, sequences uh, with with the the intentionally sort of um, racist looking caricature, Chinky, the character um, with the the kind of lighthearted um, sitcom feel where you would you would see like clap, clap, clap and like, you know, laughter, studio laughter. And it, it sets a real tone, but also just that jarring contradiction between this very uncomfortable to look at uh racial caricature and then um the the sort of lighthearted uh kind of sassy in a way tone of the sitcom um to me that makes all the difference in how the readers you know seeing these things and experiencing it i could keenly feel what gene luen yang um was trying to express to the reader you know he's trying to show like at least my interpretation anyway, could be wrong, but I, I remembered thinking he's showing how much people gloss over these these issues with racism, you know, and the perception and how much it's stuck around. And I, I got the sense that in a way he was referencing maybe how movies as recently as, you know, even the 1980s um, in the U.S. had like some really ugly uh, racism in it um, about East Asian characters. Um, so that contradiction of tone between the words and the visuals uh, really influenced me. And I liked 
using that um, in several points in Monstrous to kind of show that there are things that I even still to this day probably feel ambivalent about. Um, so when I was writing and drawing it, I actually did have some moments where I'd be like, I'd be drawing it one way and I would think, I, you know, I don't even know how I feel about this. I actually have mm -hmm. to kind of be fighting with myself while I'm drawing it, thinking, do I want to show it this dark? Am I really being honest with myself in this moment when I like write this caption box? Like, I don't think it was okay. I don't know. You know, so I love the freedom and the, I guess, ambiguity, like the possibility for ambiguity and reader participation because they can make up their mind what they're thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, they can, I mean, uh, in a way, and I don't use this lightly, but I'm being a little bit, I guess, um, a little bit tongue in cheek when I say this. In a way, it allows them to psychoanalyze Sarah while they're reading the book if they want to. They can think, right. oh, on page 180 or whatever Sarah's saying as an adult, looking back, I think it was really the right thing to do. But they can look and they can see, I don't know, though, like the way that this character's drawn, they don't look like they're so certain or the the shadows on this page make me feel like it was still an ominous thing, you know? Yeah. Now that's that's powerful design, but it's also brave of you to share and to process <laughs> that way. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could have stayed in the world of fiction, uh, but I feel like that's that's part of the graphic novel memoir Um and I've ho I hope it's been rewarding for you, and I know that it'll be rewarding for audiences. I was at Target the Thank other you. day, absolutely, uh, and I saw American Born Chinese at Target, and I thought it, how powerful and wonderful that you know Jean Lun Yang brought attention to that story, which is now yeah. getting more attention um, across media, and great to see Monstrous um, as a as another work to look at, to enjoy, uh, and to share. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we're almost at the end of this episode. And if there's anything that you want to record to add on, you're welcome to do that. Sure. Uh, by all means, I don't want to cut you off. But um, before we conclude this part of the talk, anything that you'd like to share about web spaces where people can uh, visit your work, upcoming events, anything like that? We have Monstrous coming in June. You said it was June 27th. That's right. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah. So uh, online, you can um, find me on Instagram and Twitter at S Meyer, M-Y-E-R comics, all one word. Um, and then my my main website where I uh, share some news and updates and have a few more static like portfolio pieces is um, just Sarah, S-A-R-A-H-M-Y-E-R dot net. Um, and for now, that's that's about all uh, in terms of my uh, web spaces. <laughs> Sounds good. Oh, and Sounds of good. course, uh, you know, check out Macmillan's website for the book as well. Yeah, we we will provide some of those links in the uh, description of the podcast as well. And I'm I'm just going to say one more time, Monstrous is a really wonderful book. You can get a sense of some of the the person and the creation as you're reading through and uh, even the cover back there is so striking um so i'll be writing reviews about it in different places and very much appreciate the work that you've done there and hope to have many more books from you to come thank you jason i appreciate that absolutely anything you want to say before i end the recording 
Um, I guess uh, that I really hope that the uh, monstrous appeals to people, even if they're not, they are not transracial adoptees, because I wanted to keep the themes universal as well. Um, I don't know if I'm going to, I might run out of time saying this, but um, when I, when I wrote it, I was trying to approach it as uh, thinking about the ways in which being a transracial adoptee helped me define a lot of questions and issues that everybody deals with. Like, you know, what's what's my kind of place in my family? How do I fit in with my, you know, the society around me, you know, the setting that I grew up in? And, you know, of course, other issues like um, gender identity, um, sexuality, and um, also in this case, you know, racial identity. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, they go through life and we're sort of battered by a lot of different forces that are like pressing in on us, trying to like get us to declare a label or like other people want to label us, you know? Um, yeah. And so I think everybody deals with that. And I hope that uh, anybody, no matter what your background is or your particular experiences are, will, um, you know, find some something to relate to in the book. Um, I I'd like to think of it as, I guess, just I I had some difficulties because of being adopted, but I also, you know, and, and the ways in which I didn't really fit in. But I also do think that that juxtaposition of me not really looking, I already felt like different. So it was I think that that gave me an kind of an opportunity from an earlier age to really be aware of those questions within myself, you know. Um, it raised those questions for me because it it is sort of jarring to, you know, the way that I, I feel on the inside. It would be so confusing to have people ask me, like, are you Chinese or, you know, think that I'm not, uh, you know, even a citizen in some cases. Um, and I, I think like everybody, no matter what, they they go through some degree of that in their life. Um, you know, people thinking you want to lift weights, but you're like, you're my friend, like the bookworm. I don't know. Can you really do that? You know, everybody, right. we, we all have things about us that we think I'd like to try this. And I feel that I want to do something, but people always have these perceptions of us, you know? So um, I know that seems like kind of a jump, but I really do think that that's the same inner conflict and feeling that we all get, you know? Oh, I don't think that's a jump at all. I think that's, uh, the human nature of literacy, the human nature of reading, and it's uh, it speaks to the power of storytelling and, and just the fact that we need books like yours and we need stories like this. So, thanks. <laughs> absolutely. Thank you again. Thank you. <laughs>